and welcome back to We Are the Weirdos, Mister, the podcast for all things cult, camp, queer, and creepy. I am your host, Hillary Michelle Post, and I am joined by my bestie, Heather. Hi, Heather. Hi. It's been a minute since Heather and I did one of these, just the two of us. I was like, it's been a little while, and then I checked, and I was like, oh, it's been a year. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You've been on with Julie, but it hasn't been just you and me for a bit, so I'm glad to have you. Well, thank you for doing this movie that doesn't fit the criteria of your podcast at all. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Yeah, I was about to say, like, today's episode was actually a request from Heather, um, one that I was happy to oblige, um, despite the fact that it isn't really culty, campy, queer, or creepy. Um, It is still subversive in its own ways, and it's one of our favorite movies, so we're going to talk about it anyway. Um, we are going to be talking about the 2009 indie comedy, Away We Go. So Heather, tell us a little bit about why you wanted to talk about this movie and why you enjoy it. Oh, wow. Um, I watched this movie, I think, as soon as it came out and I just loved it. It's really, really funny. And it's one of my absolute favorite movies. But not only is it funny, it's like a funny, but it's drama and it's a romantic story and I just always thought I was just so sweet and I um I've watched it I mean I watched it for this podcast but I watched it earlier this year and it just hit me different this year because it's about um these two people that are trying to make a family she's uh pregnant and I mean me being pregnant and trying to do the right thing for my kid that's the whole kind of basis of this movie is is them trying to do what is right and have a better life for their kids than, than they've uh, created so far. So I think it was just, it just hit me different this year and it, but I've always loved it. Yeah. I mean, even, I mean, I don't have kids, but even people that I love a lot, but are really close to me are having kids and just having babies in the world in my life. It has changed so much of the landscape has changed like how I look at things. Like I'm, a, I feel like I'm a more positive person. I've like gotten rid of a lot of negativity in my life just because I'm looking at these little babies that I love so much and how important they are to me. And so even as something as like, you, just like a movie even can mean more to you after a certain point in your life. Um, I just want to add that like, I, even when I didn't have kids, I love this movie. I mean, I think right. it's just like you finding a better version of yourself is like a a theme in this movie. Even if you don't want kids, you don't have kids. um, It can still like be a great movie for you. Totally. Um, And I do believe that you introduced this to me. I think it was, I hadn't seen it. And when, after it had come out, you were like, oh my God, you have to see this movie. Um, I I think so, right? You were the one that showed it to me. I would think because I feel like I wouldn't have found this movie had I not been in a strong John Krasinski phase in my life. So (laughs) I probably was like watching everything he was making at the time. And I was like, oh my God, everyone has to watch this movie. (laughs) Right. Um, I mentioned this in my intro a little bit, but that this movie is subversive. And it is in very subtle ways. um, Ways we probably take for granted. Because there are things about this movie that are common in real life but aren't as common in film and television because in a lot of ways, a lot of the media we consume is still very puritanical and projected through a very white picket fence, nuclear family, little boxes kind of lens. Right. Yeah. So the fact that our main character and the main actress is biracial, 
the fact that they are having a child out of wedlock, um, the fact that they're having a child in their 30s versus their like early 20s, the fact that they both can work from anywhere and don't have like a nine to five set type jobs. Um, hell, even the fact that we see a woman receiving oral sex in the first scene, all mm. of these things <laughs> are subtly subversive and not super common in romantic comedies. And I think that's another reason I like this movie so much because it is essentially a romantic comedy, but it's so different from any other kind, you know? Yeah. Um, and maybe so, it's, uh, after you said all that, a little ahead of its time in 2009, I mean, like she's very adamant and not wanting to get married. Like, yeah. Um, and there's a cute scene about that uh, we can talk about later, but um, yeah, I mean, I never really thought of it that way, but like for 2009, I mean, this was pretty maybe cutting edge for all of those things. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this film was actually co-written by a real life married couple, Dave Eggers and Vendela Vita. They are both successful authors as well as screenwriters. And Eggers has written other screenplays, including the screen adaptation of Where the Wild Things Are. And he actually uh, also wrote Promised Land, another movie you and I watched together. Do you remember that movie? Was it the one with John Krasinski and Matt Damon? Yes. Okay, yes. Yes, I remember it. Yes. I think you and I randomly rented it one day. Yeah. Um, and I, did, I almost completely forgot about it until I was doing research. I was like, oh, yeah, that was a really good movie. I need to watch that again. Yeah. Um, and the movie was directed by the super famous stage and screen director, Sam Mendez. He directed American Beauty, Revolutionary Road, Jarhead, Skyfall, like a lot of stuff. And honestly, with Mendez and Eggers involved with The Way We Go, I'm genuinely surprised it isn't more well-known. Yeah. Um, most people I ask have never seen it, and I'm usually the person that introduces it to them. And everyone I've ever showed this movie to loves it, but had just never heard of it before. Um, which is a real shame, because it's really spectacular. And I hope if you're listening to this and haven't seen it, that despite the fact that we are going to tell you all the best parts... You will still go, <laughs> you will still watch it on your oh, own. Oh, it's still worth the watch. Oh, totally. Um, I own a digital copy of it. I forgot to check to see where it's streaming. I think it's on Peacock, though, um, and available to rent everywhere. So do you have it on DVD? Okay, so I have a digital version of it. Um, I have a DVD, but um, in Julie and I's Departure from Living Together, I think it was something we bought together and I think she got it or it was mine and she never gave it back to me. I think that sounds more accurate, <laughs> but uh, she is an ownership of the DVD. Ah, it happens. Joint custody, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so I tried to do as much research as I could, but there wasn't a lot of information on the production of the film, except this one little tidbit that I thought was really interesting that I wanted to share. Um, I read that the film is the first studio production was the first studio production to adopt green filmmaking initiatives aimed to reduce CO2 emissions. Garbage was reduced by half. Thanks to various bins for recycling material. Caterers used ceramics and washed um, dishes as opposed to using throwaway products and vehicles on the set were all bio um, diesel fuel. That's rad. <laughs> I saw that too. When I was looking at research for it too. Did you also see, I might be getting a little ahead of myself, that um, Maggie Gyllenhaal's character was supposed to be played by Tony Collette? 
Yes, isn't that wild? It would have yeah. been, I mean, it would have been equally as fantastic because it's Joni. Yes. Um, but there's something about Maggie Gyllenhaal, who, don't get me wrong, I love, but there's something more easily hateable about her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I love Tony Collette so much in a way that I don't think her character would have been as obnoxious <laughs> if it wasn't Maggie. Yeah, no, I think Maggie was perfect. I mean, I would have loved to have seen Tony Collette do it, but um, no, Maggie's perfect in it. <clears throat> and remind me when we get to that part, um, I wanted to talk about the guy that plays Roderick too, because I saw oh. him in something else recently. Okay. Okay, so um, this is going to be one that's, tough for me to break down i did the best i could but it's just the the script is so dense with amazing quotable moments that <laughs> it's it's going to be me and heather just like laughing out of all of our favorite favorite shit so just yeah i took a lot of notes and it would make sense to no one but me because it's just like a half a quote <laughs> and i'm like oh, i'll remember that part <laughs> right 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 um so the opening scene we see bert and verona our two main characters uh john krasinski and maya rudolph they're in bed together, and Bert slides down in bed to go down on Verona. It's all underneath a sheet, so we don't see anything explicit. But it's so funny because every single scene in this movie when John Krasinski has to lay in a bed, his poor feet are already dangling. So when he, like, scoots down in the bed to go down on her, like, his feet are against the far wall. Like, I'm he's on the struggle bus. Tall he is. It's a good question. But I read when he this happens, she wore four pairs of bike shorts in this scene. I mean, I could I don't blame her. That'd be so awkward to be like, my co-star, he's going to put his head down by your crotch. So just, you know, it's even if under a blanket, it's like, okay, well, this is weird. <laughs> John Krasinski is 6'3". You know, that's not even as tall as I thought he was. That's even shorter than um, Jared Padalecki. So he just has a tall aura. He's always around to short people. <laughs> So when he starts to go down on Verona, the first thing she says is don't blow. And he's like, why, why would I blow? And she's like, I don't know why you do any of the things that you do, Bert. Just don't blow. <laughs> oh, God. So we hear kissing noises. We hear him start the act. And he his little head pops up under, under the sheet. And he's like, you taste different. Did you know that? She's like, no, Bert. How would I know that? <laughs> And she's like, do you want me to shower? And he's like, no, you don't taste dirty, just different. And then he's like, you know, I read the uh, vaginal flavors. She's like, Jesus. <laughs> the vaginal flavors can change due to many cofactors. She's like, I thought we talked about you not using that word. He's like, no, we said I wouldn't misuse it. <laughs> and he's like, changes in vaginal flavors can be caused by menopause or and she just slaps the piss out of him just <laughs> knocks him clean off the bed <laughs> so um after that there's a time jump six months ahead uh we see a, now a very visibly pregnant verona wakes up to find bert shaving a piece of wood and when she asks what he's doing he says cobbling and she's like no <laughs> No, <laughs> he's like, I want to be one of those dads that he's, my kid wakes up and like finds me cobbling. And she's like, cobbling is when you make shoes. That's yeah. why shoemakers are called cobblers. <laughs> like you're, what'd she say? She's like, you're um, carving, possibly whittling. <laughs> yeah. 
And this is where I write down. So his uh, John Krasinski's character is Burt Farlander, and I think like Jim Hopper is great, but Burt Farlander is like the quintessential man for me. Like he is nerdy <laughs> and awkward and fucking adorable. Like I just love him so much. Mom and I watched this together, and we were laughing because John Krasinski is a very, very handsome man, but they like. I feel like they went out of their way to make him as like approachable as possible in this. So they just made him kind of doofy. Mm-hmm. But like, it works. It, just, it, it works. <laughs> he's still hot. It, it would take, you'd have to hit him with a bus to make him like not look hot, but like he's got, his hair is pretty long and scraggly and he's got a kind of unkempt beard and he dresses like a complete dickhead, like <laughs> plaids on plaids. And it's just, yeah. he's a mess. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. He is. Now, conversely, I think this is one of the most beautiful. I think Maya Rudolph looks so beautiful in this movie. I love how she dresses. She has this great, like, bohemian style. She's just, and she, she's really pregnant in the film, obviously, and she's just glowing. I love Maya Rudolph so much. Is she and mom's like, when we filmed this? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, she has so many kids. I feel like Maya Rudolph is pregnant every time I see her. Because she was pregnant in this, and she was also pregnant, really pregnant in um, Prairie Home Companion, which has one of my favorite lines. Have you ever seen that movie? What is it called again? Prairie Home Companions. No. It's about the, that uh, um, uh, oh, NPR show. Um, but she plays a character that's pregnant. She's backstage with um, Kevin Klein. And he's like eye level with her stomach. And he's just apparently hadn't noticed until recently that she was visibly pregnant. And he's like, you need to uh, cut back on the sweets and the sex with men. (laughs) (laughs) But it's funny. Mom's like, how old is this movie? Because she looks really thin. I was like, what do you mean she looks really thin? She's six months pregnant. (laughs) She's like, but still like the rest of her, she's thinner than she is now. I'm just like, yeah, this is 2009. This is a minute ago. Um, but speaking of, um, Bert dressing like a dickhead, he's getting ready to go to his family defense class (laughs) and he's like wearing his regular clothes and just like the jacket from a karate gi, it looks like, (laughs) like just the jacket. And then he (laughs) takes Verona's airbrushing goggles. Like, why do you need goggles (laughs) for self-defense class? (laughs) <laughs> and she's like don't take them and he's like I got them <laughs> he <just> doesn't even <laughs> care <laughs> oh god so Bert leaves and Verna is home alone and she's um, watching an old pregnancy workout tape and talking on the phone with her sister Grace um, and I've seen that video being like made fun of and other things like I've seen YouTube videos where they've watched that video and it is pretty funny. Like, skip the bagel and do one more kegel. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I wish I could have found it and gift- gifted it to you while you were pregnant. That would have been funny. Oh, my God. That would have been funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we get a, a bit of um, exposition in this scene, right? So she's talking to Grace. And we know that Grace doesn't live anywhere near her. And, that, and we're in... Colorado, right? I think so. Yeah. And they're they live near Bert's parents and they're gonna see them later that night. And Bert works at insurance and he can do his job wherever. And 
we see um, Faruna working on what she does for a living, which is she does anatomical illustrations for like medical textbooks and stuff. And while she's talking, a job like I was thinking, like, do they do all digital things now, or do people still like do what she does? I mean, if you think about it, if you see an illustration in a textbook, it look they usually do look pretty like handmade. It's a hand drawn. It's a really cool job. That is a cool job. I love it. She's like drawing. She's like, oh, I just gave this man's brain a vulva. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Verona and Bert are heading over to Bert's parents' house and Bert's talking about how he wants their daughter to have like an adventurous outdoorsy childhood. He describes it as he wants her life to be Huck Finney, which I think is cute. And, uh, you know, Verona's like, you know, I had that. I did. I had that. And I kind of did too growing up. I played outside a lot just by myself, like a little weirdo. Um, yeah, I could have had that, but I read books inside instead. <laughs> yeah, I, I was six of one, half dozen the other. I was either like glued to my books and my TV or playing in the woods, playing make believe by myself. Um, Lacey and I laugh about that all the time because Lacey was out having adventures, and I was just like, my adventures were like not getting abducted in the woods. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> then Bert gets a phone call from a work colleague, and <laughs> he puts on the doofiest voice it's really loud and really fake sounding and verona pulls over and gets out of the car just to get away from the noise and she has on this amazing coat that she wears throughout the entire movie and i love it i love it too i love her gloves too she's wearing like velvet gloves and uh you know bert's phone call he gets off his phone call and he goes over to her and he explains you know his co-workers are much older and more experienced and they expect him to behave a certain way She's like, they expect you to sound like Casey Kasem. <laughs> and he's like, yes. <laughs> and then he's doing a Casey Kasem voice to try to, like, soothe her because she's clearly irritated. And he goes, this next long-distance dedication goes out to a really special girl. The letter reads, dear Casey, my name is Bert. My girlfriend's pregnant and frustrated. Could you play her a song that would make her smile? Thanks. Son, Bert Farlander. <laughs> She's like, your pregnant girlfriend's going to kill you. Go away. <laughs> he, some, he says some line before that, like, when they're talking about his bosses or whatever. And he's like, you know, I have to sound professional, like a 33-year-old who didn't finish college. And I just thought, like, I don't know. He's kind of, like, they don't get into it a lot, but I feel like they, at the beginning, they kind of feel... Well, they do say this in a second, but they kind of feel like they're fuck-ups just because they haven't, they don't have an extravagant house. Like, there's things that don't work in their house, and and they feel like they're not really ready for this next step, even though they are older. They're just like, what have we done? Like, Right. Right. Um, and that is interesting, too, that he, you know, he has a, a job that's good enough for them to make a living, obviously. I mean, they're functioning. Um, yeah. But... I think it's interesting. Another thing that's kind of subversive, you don't have that very often. You either have people, characters who like didn't go to college and went immediately to the work field or people who graduated college. You don't have like college dropouts as main characters, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's another thing too. Mom, my mom missed that line. It wasn't until much later when they say it again, that she's like, they're in their thirties. I'm like, yeah. She's like, Oh wow. Like that, when you realize that their characters are in their thirties, it's like a completely different story as opposed to young and in your twenties, you know? Yeah. 
I also want to point out that not all of the soundtrack, but a lot of the music, which I think the music really makes the movie, is Alexi Murdoch, um, who is a really good indie artist that everyone should check out. But um, a lot of his music is in this. Mm-hmm. He was a, a, on um, the Garden State soundtrack, too, wasn't he? I think so, yes. Yeah, I love that soundtrack, too. And that, his voice sounded familiar. Um, indie movies have the best soundtracks. <laughs> They do. And, you know, I was thinking, like, people don't know this movie, but I feel like indie movies weren't as popular. I know that's the whole point, but, like, they weren't as popular as they are now. You know, now it's, like, you watch indie movies, but I don't think people did back then, like, you do now. Right. Or have the the access to them, like, now that we have, you know, all these streaming platforms. Right, because now an indie movie may not get a wide... Because this is, didn't get released in many, very many theaters, right? Yeah. So people didn't have access to, to it. But now you would drop a movie that would play in a few screens, but then probably be immediately available on Netflix or yeah. Peacock. Or something, you know? um, so we arrive at parents at Bert's parents' house. I love that Greg Daniels and Catherine O'Hara, what they filmed for like a day on this. They are like such big name actors and they are in here for like 10 minutes. <laughs> I know, right? Like mom and I, I told mom, I said, there are so many amazing people in this movie. Just wait, just wait for it. And immediately we see Catherine O'Hara and Jeff Daniels. And she's like, huh. I was like, I told you. <laughs> it's so, it keeps going from here. Every single scene, you're, you're going to be like, oh shit, look who it is. There's another movie that's similar to this. This is also John Krasinski. It's called The Hollers, and there's a lot of famous people in that movie, too. And it's kind of gives it away we go by, but it's really good if you haven't watched it. Oh, I haven't. I need to check that out. It's it's good. And uh, Anna Kendrick is in it. Ooh, I love her. Yeah. So, Bert's parents are a trip, man. <laughs> and Catherine O'Hara is, has her head on um, Rona's tummy and is talking about the baby. And she literally asks, how black do you think she'll be? Oh, God. And is like, I don't know. We could leave her out in the sun, <laughs> expedite things a little. <laughs> and then she's like, well, I was just worried because of your tilted uterus. <laughs> I was like, how many people know about my tilted uterus? Like, what? Who do you? What? <laughs> yeah, why would you tell people that? <laughs> um, it's funny. This is the first movie I had ever heard of that. And then after I heard about it, I'm just like, I think I have a tilted uterus. <laughs> I've never, like, officially been diagnosed as a tilted uterus, but I think I do. Um, then they, like, sit down for, oh, no, tell Bert's them about uh, Bert's birth story. Yeah, she tells us she's going through this story about how she uh, went into labor with Bert uh, at home, and the firemen come, and they were all over her, and she was just there, and, like, er- like Bert and um, his dad are just, like, had their head in their hands, like... Please stop telling this story. She's like, they were all over me. <laughs> my breasts, my breasts were engorged. It oh, was yeah. August. I was sweaty. She's like, I think he says, did they get their hoses out, Gloria? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> oh my god. Then they sit down to eat, and Jeff Daniel starts his prayer, Almighty Food Gatherer. <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> um. Yeah, they're very hippy dippy. So we kind of get an idea of, <laughs> get some perspective on Bert <laughs> just from meeting his parents. Yeah. And so they, um, they 
are talking about how they've always wanted to go to Belgium. And um, also, I think at this point, like, uh, I don't remember his dad's name. Do you remember his name? in the I movie? Don't. Okay, but Greg Daniels keeps looking at this, like, Jeff Daniels. or oh, sorry, Jeff Daniels start, starts talking, um, looking at this piece of art that they have and wanting them to say something about it. And they're like, what is that? And he was like, oh, this is, um, what, what does he say? He doesn't say indigenous. He's like, this is, uh, our ingenious people. And it was $12,000. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> spending $12,000 on a statue like just a little statues that will sit in your dining room no i cannot especially when your kids are like struggling yeah yeah like later they go home and like the the heat is not on like it's not working or you know they're using a space heater and then they blow a fuse and it's just like yeah they they have some things they need they could you could help them with but no you buy a statue because these people are really the best parents (laughs) and they think they're like the comical version of the parents from like Get Out, where they probably think that they are just like the most liberal and amazing people when in reality they're just like capitalist assholes. Yes. <laughs> like just because you have a statue of, of an indigenous woman doesn't mean that any of that money went to the indigenous people who actually need it. Like you just have yeah. a statue. So, yes, like Heather said, they was talking about how they always wanted to go to Belgium and that they're going to move there. They're going to move to Antwerp and live there for two years. They're moving in June and the baby's due in July. So they're literally leaving right before their grandchild. But they were like, don't worry. If we don't get a renter for two years, you can just live in the house like they're doing them this big favor. <laughs> right. But and I'm- then they immediately get a phone call for- yes. <laughs> and find out that that won't be the case. Yeah. Ugh. So this, yeah so this is when we we go back to their place and we see kind of like how I don't know how not together it is like you kind of get a little bit more insight into their lives of like how they're struggling right um poor Verona is just sitting on the couch trying to keep warm and he's and Bert's fumbling around trying to get the space heater and trying to get the uh and that blows the power and then he's lighting candles. He's going on about red fuses versus blue fuses. And Verna is just like thinking about life <laughs> while he's rambling. Um, oh, and I think at this point, sometimes he's like, can we just get someone else to be the grandparents? What about those people next door? Like, right. right. Maybe yeah, that's how that works. <laughs> and um, he's like, well, it's not like your parents are helping. And she's like, my parents are dead. He's like, yeah, but still. <laughs> So they kind of come to the conclusion, you know, they had moved to Colorado to be close to Bert's parents. But if Bert's parents are going to be there, then there's nothing keeping them there. And they start thinking about their options, where else they could possibly live. And they plan this trip, right? And I love it. The next scene, they're like at the airport to start their trip. And they're kind of breaking down what it's going to be. And she's like, didn't you look at your itinerary? I stapled it to the inside of your jacket. (laughs) And sure enough, (laughs) (laughs) sure enough, he opens up his jacket. There's a piece of paper stapled there. It's kind of brilliant. If you're, if you have like a somewhat inept man child, you should probably like keep him on a leash or staple an itinerary to his jacket. Not that Bruce is inept, but Bert kind of is. (laughs) Yeah. He would get in the car and be like, where are we going? I'm like, I've planned this trip for weeks. (laughs) (laughs) 
So um, the first stop is Phoenix. They're going to visit Verena's old co-worker Lily and her husband Lowell, who are played by Allison Janney and Jim Gaffigan. Um, if you thought that Bert's parents were a lot, oh boy, Lily and Lowell are a lot. <laughs> I always say, oh, this is the best part of the movie. But then, like, there's so many best parts of this movie that, like, right. where do you begin? Right. So they meet up at a um, dog racetrack, right? And <laughs> they're, like, watching the races and drinking. And Lily is super – she has two kids. She has Ashley and Taylor. They're like tweens, right? And she's just wildly inappropriate and talks about wildly inappropriate stuff about them and around them. She refers to Ashley as a little dyke. She has like she dresses like a dyke and has a dykey walk. And they're talking about all sorts of stuff. And it makes Bert like really uncomfortable. And he's like, maybe we shouldn't talk about this around the kids. And she's like, oh, Bert, it's white noise to them. They don't listen. Watch this. <laughs> Taylor. She just, Taylor. She turns to her son and just starts saying his name over and over. She says it like eight times. Taylor. 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 <laughs> he doesn't even remotely respond. She's like, see? Which is kind of, isn't entirely true, but it's kind of true. Like, but the, the problem is when you want a kid to listen, they won't listen. But when you don't want them to be listening, they're listening. <laughs> yeah, because later she's like, uh, I almost left Lowell so many times the kids don't know that and they both like look over at her <laughs> yeah they heard that loud and clear oh my god she's so funny and then she goes on about how she used to have big boobs but the kids milked her dry <laughs> and Allison Janney of course is very tall but she's very petite and does not have large boobs so she's talking about how she used to have big ones and she's like now I can <laughs> I don't have to wear a bra anymore I just tuck him in my sock it looks like a um, man's nuts, like an old man's nutsack. <laughs> oh, and uh, Bert remembers this conversation because it like <laughs> sticks in his crawl a little bit. He gets a little preoccupied with the thought of boobs. Yeah, because he's so worried that Verona's going to lose her boobs after. Right. <laughs> um, so after they watch a race, they're like sitting and sitting down inside where they eat and. Um, are talking about the fact that Verona and Bert aren't married and don't plan to be. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Lily is like, you know, it keeps you from walking out in the middle of the night because you think about it and just like, think about all the money you spent at the wedding and, you know, the pain in the ass it'll be to get a divorce. And that's what keeps you around, which is such a jaded, horrible way to look at marriage. Yes. <laughs> like, like the only the only good purpose to be married is to like legally tether you to this person to make it harder to leave. Like that's an awful way to think about it. Yes. Um, I don't even know what makes Lowell start this rant about water. I wish I had it memorized. <laughs> oh my god, I'm like ninety nine percent sure that Jim Gaffigan Just like ad libbed it. Yeah. yeah. Hold on, I have the script. Here, oh my god. Here we go. He's like, um, oh, they're talking about how they hope that they move there because they have had a hard time breaking into the social scene in Phoenix and it's very clickish. And Lowell goes, We didn't get into the good golf club, there's no water left anyway. 
the drought's coming, like the biblical flood, but in reverse. The golf course will be the first to go. Then the fountains, all the water fountains, the restaurants, basic services, large mammals, then regular sized mammals, reptiles, birds, then people. <laughs> and the whole time he's saying this, you can see Alice and Janie is trying not to laugh. And then when she finally finishes, she just turns to him and goes, You're You done? done? <laughs> <laughs> I'm positive that he just completely pulled that out of his ass. <laughs> Oh, so they go to part ways and this scene is so funny because the, Verna gets in the car and, um, Bert, well, mind, you know, Ashley, they this truck stops and she just goes over and starts talking to these two random dudes in this vehicle, like yeah. in the background of this, while what Hillary is about to describe goes down. <laughs> like, no, yeah. So the whole time, like no one's paying attention to Ashley. She's talking to strangers, buying yeah. drugs, getting kidnapped. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But in the foreground of this shot, um, Bert goes to say bye to Lily and like she gives him a hug and then she tries to kiss him like on the mouth (laughs) and he just kind of freezes up and doesn't say anything and just turns around and gets in the car. And you could just see Lily just kind of wilt and she's like, lol. (laughs) So the next scene is them by their hotel pool and uh Bert's again really um wanting to talk about Verona's boobs and if she's going to keep them and then they start talking about how crazy that they were and they have this kind of conversation of how they want to to make a good family um because Lily was talking about how everything's predetermined and you know your kid's going to be fucked up no matter what and they're like no like we don't want that to happen like we want to provide a good stable Huck Finney life for our kid right I, I like it too when they start the conversation Bert's like do you agree with Lily and just knee-jerk reaction Verona goes no Wait, what are we talking about? Yeah, which part? <laughs> yeah. Which part? Whatever she said. No, I don't. <laughs> and then I think uh, this is also the time where um, she looks at him and says, no one's in love like us, right? Which I love that line. I like that line too. Which is funny, which is a really sweet moment. There's a lot of sweet moments between them. But before we got to that particular line where she's like, no one's in love like we are, right? My, my mom actually turned to me and says, does Verna even like Bert? <laughs> Like she seems irritated with him like 90% of the time. I'm just like, no, I think she likes him. I just think he's just dorky. Yeah. And she's pregnant and frustrated. Yeah. uh, I wanted to be like, not everyone is like Gary mom. Like not everyone has a Gary. Some people have a bird and they have to, they have to have patience. (laughs) So then are we ready for Tucson? Yes. Mm -hmm. So we go to Tucson, which how far away is Phoenix in Tucson? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, so I was just, I, I don't know. I just thought about that. Anyways, um, they go to see Grace, which is Verona's sister, and they're sitting in, she works at a hotel, so they're sitting in the lobby. Oh my God, this part. I, I, another part where I'm like, this is the best part of the movie. Um, <laughs> so this little, well, what is he, like eight maybe, kid Probably. is with his mom, and um, Bert and Verona are waiting for Grace to get off work. And so the woman is just kind of like showing things to her son. Like, look at this. Tell me what this is. And then she's like, tell me what that is. And points at Verona's belly. And he says, a baby. And then she's like, tell the nice people what you know about babies. And how does he say it? You you, you quote it. <laughs> he says, babies like to breathe. And they're good at hiding it. 
I put a pillow over a baby. I thought she wasn't breathing, but she was. She was sneaky, but I'll try again. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) The most random thing that could happen in this movie. Like, who even thought to add that? Like, what? But it's so funny. funny. It's like, okay, got to keep an eye on Beckett. (laughs) (laughs) Who we never see again. Like, this is a completely throwaway moment. It's so funny. Um, They see Grace, and um, Bert's supposed to talk up this guy that Grace has been seeing because, for some reason, he has these quirky things that Grace doesn't like about him. And Bert's just trying to, like, really talk him up. So she's like... He took me to a steakhouse and he's like, oh, like what type of steakhouse? And he was like, well, I told him I didn't want to go to the steakhouse. And then he took me to Long John Silver's and he's like, that's being attentive to your needs. (laughs) (laughs) He's tried so hard. Bless his heart. The girl, I don't know her name, but the girl who plays Grace is so pretty. She is. Gorgeous. Um, Then Bert steps away to take a work phone call. And um, he, like a lady and her kid walks past and he like motions to Verona about how she has, has big boobs. <laughs> and Verona's like, look at him. I'm about to have a baby that might have three hands or a shovel for a head. And the thing he's most concerned about is whether or not I'm going to keep my boobs. <laughs> but then Grace is like, you got lucky, sister. And she's like, yeah, I know. And like, as this happened, he like falls over this little ledge, like to the ground. <laughs> Like, he can barely walk on his own. You got lucky, sister, which she did because he is so charming, yeah, but yeah. also adored. Oh my god, he's like a baby gazelle. He's just all yeah. legs. <laughs> so the next day, uh, Grace and Verona are out shopping, and they're in this big like bathtub showroom trying to choose a new tub for Grace. And um, they try one out, and they get into this big tub, and they're like laying in there together, talking about their late parents. Um, who passed away when uh, Verna was in college. And she apparently doesn't talk about them very much. And Grace is always kind of needling her to do so. And she's like, you're the big sister. You remember more. You know, I want you to talk about them. And, um, you know, Grace points out the fact that the fact that she's having this baby is kind of bringing them back to life in a way. You know, she could be born with their mother's crazy green eyes or something like that. And Bruna's like, are you trying to make me cry in a bathtub? In a bathtub showroom. <laughs> but they also, there's an, an offhand remark that pays off later about the fact that they still have, they still own their childhood home, but they've been renting it out to people. They're like, we should really sell it. We should do something with it. But they've been having good luck with renters, so they don't really think about it too much, right? So next day, they go to try to fly to Madison, Wisconsin. But the airline doesn't believe that Verona is only six months pregnant. Because you're not allowed to fly after eight months. And she's like, it's fine, I'm only six months. And there's like three different women that call each other over. And they're just like, she says she's only six months. Which is so rude. Yeah. So rude. Like, I get it. Like, I get that they don't want to risk it, but... If a lady says she's six months, she's just believe her. Like, why Why would she lie? So they have to take a train. Right. Which comes another great quotable part of the movie. <laughs> she, they're, like, in their little uh, sleeper car, and they're on bunk beds. 
and she's laying there and Vern's really frustrated and she's she says she's just like frustrated by being pregnant and the how the burden of it and she's like I miss having sex and Bert says do you want to have sex and she's like no yeah. man that was relatable when I was pregnant like, sex sounds great do you want to have sex no no <laughs> no I do not and she's like, she just feels like big and ugly. And he's like, you're still super hot, sexy even. And he's trying to make her feel better, but he's just making it worse. He's like, if you don't lose the baby weight right away, he's like, or even if you gain weight after having the baby, I will still love you. Even if I can't find your vagina. <laughs> and he like repeats it. Even if I can't find your vagina. And she's like, ah, screaming into her pillow. Screaming into her pillow. <laughs> Doesn't he say you can write that in stone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh bless him even if i can't find your vagina oh my god this next part coming up so in the morning i quote this all the time and bruce is always like what are you quoting at me (laughs) there it's uh daytime but they're still on the train because now that i'm thinking about it a train from tucson to madison sounds like it'd take a really long time yeah um so they're trying to hear the baby's heartbeat with a little device and she says that um, the baby's heartbeat is like a little like lower than what she would want it to be. She wants the baby, you know, to be more active now and then, you know, chill later because she just wants to make sure it's okay. So Bert's like, what can I do? Like, can I do things to like excite you? And he, she was like, well, we never fight. Like, he's like, weren't we fighting last night? And she was like, we were discussing, like, we need to fight more. And so he says something to her and he's like, man, am I cross, <laughs> which I say <laughs> all the time. <laughs> It's just, like, the complete opposite of a fight. Like, he, the way he says it is so calm. Yeah, he's like, you've done something wrong, and I'm really bothered by it. Man, am I cross. Real mad. <laughs> She's like, no, it has to be convincing. She's, he's like, like, should I swear? She's like, no, just raise your voice. <laughs> so he screams, cunt sucker! <laughs> Which is a curse I've never heard before, to be fair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this whole dining car like turns and looks at them <laughs> and she slunks down low in her seat and he's like uh, she's like I didn't mean now he's like yeah but the element of surprise is so crucial you've never heard me say cunt sucker before have you <laughs> he's such a dork so they get to Madison and um, they're like trying to find his friend so uh, Verona's like, this is your cousin, right? And he's like, well, we're not really cousins. Um, her mom and my dad are just we're friends, and we just called each other cousins growing up. And so they stop and they ask this woman, like, Here, where's Ellen? I can't remember her last name's office. And she was like, oh, she's right over there. And this woman's pushing a stroller and kind of walks past them and stops and goes, she'll be the mom without the stroller. <laughs> Go ahead. So... They get they get to Ellen's office, and on the on the door it says L N such and such, and Verena's like L N. I thought her name was Ellen. What does L N stand for? And she realizes that's how she spells Ellen with the letter L and the letter N. She's like, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they open the door, and Ellen's standing there. And she is not only breastfeeding her infant son, she's also breastfeeding her toddler son. Who's the infant like, son wasn't even really an infant. Like, he was almost knocking on one. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had a tooth or two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Wolfie, the toddler, is like, 
not even a toddler. He's like five. Like he's way too big to be breastfeeding. He just turns off the boob and looks at him and goes, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) If your kid can tell, can turn and say welcome to someone, he's too old to be breastfeeding. (laughs) And like, oh, I just, I I can't imagine breastfeeding a kid with teeth. I mean, like that just does not sound fun. If they can ask for the boob, like it's a little, (laughs) it's a little odd in my opinion. I'm not mom shaming anybody, but like it's a little strange. It's a little strange. And no, they bring up the woman that they saw. They're like, oh, we saw this woman. Um, and she told us where you were. And she's like, oh, yeah, she's mad at me. I breastfed her baby once. <laughs> the look on my mom's face. I was like, what? I was like, could you imagine if someone nursed your child? And she said, no. <laughs> like, yeah, I would be apocalyptic. I'd be like, nope. <laughs> Especially someone as like clearly awful as Ellen. <laughs> Like she's just clearly the worst. So and to, sorry, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. They start walking to their cars, and this was just like a little like catch that I had. Um, they were walking to their cars, talking, and um, if you look, the younger child is like being carried by Ellen, mm-hmm. and if you look for a part of it, it's a real baby, and another part is a fake baby. <laughs> Like that baby's head was like sideways. I was like, oh my God, that baby's not okay. And I was like, that's not a real baby. <laughs> I was like, dummy baby alert. <laughs> and, and so they um, suggest that they'll bring food over and meet at Ellen's later. Right. And she, Ellen makes an offhand comment about being worried about Brenda's pregnancy because of her tilted uterus. Okay. Yeah. And they get into the car to go to get the groceries and she's like, you told her too? She's like, he's like, is your tilted uterus a secret? She's like, yes, my tilted uterus is a fucking secret. And he goes, oh really, you fucking bitch? Your fucking uterus is a fucking motherfucking secret? Well, fuck you. And he pulls out the, the little monitor thing to check the the heart rate. So anytime he pulls that out, it's just such a great visual gag like he clearly was just screaming at her to get the heart rate up but for a second you don't know what's happening and then out comes the little monitor (laughs) so when they go out to get the groceries they also get a stroller for ellen because they thought it was odd that she didn't have one and it's an expensive gift it's really nice yeah it's a really nice stroller like it's a gift for wolfie and like and the baby like yeah yeah so (laughs) they get there and they like go to give the stroller to Ellen and she seems very disturbed by its presence and she's like why don't we put that out on the porch a little further away (laughs) everything about her house like they they made she made them put on slippers and I I love Athens but there's just an Athens vibe to this house this like Ellen kind of it just it makes me giggle yeah it's very college town vibe um so she's like, let's go upstairs to meet Roderick. So they go upstairs to their bedroom. And their bedroom ha- is just like all bed. It's just this giant bed, right? And he's uh, up there laying with the baby. And Roderick is the worst. He's just the God. fucking worst. And do you remember I told you I was watching that movie recently about um, that girl, Reality, who got in trouble for leaking government information? Yeah. One of the FBI agents that interrogates her is played by that guy. Okay. 
And I was, and he's like nerdy and has glasses and is like all nebbishy FBI agent. And I was like, that's fucking Roderick. It was such a different character that it completely took me by surprise. And I was I like, think he was in The Walking Dead. Now that I think of it, oh really? Yeah, let me let me double check that. It was just funny because when I saw him, I was like, this is weird. I know him from something, but it doesn't this doesn't feel right and then when i looked up how i knew him i'm like that's why it doesn't feel right <laughs> he was broderick the weirdo <laughs> yeah he was lance and walking dead mm, okay and we learned that roderick and ellen practice what is known as a continuum home they follow the three s's the no sugar no what is it no sugar, no something, no um, strollers. No separation. No separation. No separation. That's it. So they like all sleep in one giant bed together. And Verona makes the joke. She's like, you know, when you guys want to be intimate, what do you guys do? Go out to the car? And they're like, really patronizingly, they're like, no, Verona, we don't go out to the car. Do you plan on keeping your love making a secret from your children? And I just scream at the TV. I'm like, yes! <laughs> yes, for the love of God, keep it a secret from your children. <laughs> oh, then they talk about... <laughs> they're like, what's your thing with seahorses? Oh. And they explain how, like, seahorses, um, the women insert their eggs into the man's prude pouch. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like... I. It, uh, Ellen says, if I could, I'd insert my my eggs into your prude pouch. <laughs> and they're like getting all sexy about it. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> then over dinner, Roderick and Ellen just continue to be the worst. Uh, you know, Roderick is really condescending and Ellen keeps making kind of like backhanded comments about just how Verna is as a woman and a mother and finally, Bert just snaps. And he's like, screams, and he's like, you guys are horrible people. You're terrible she's people. Like, what is happening right now? And he's like, if I have to explain it to you, Looney Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she stands up and she's like, I reject your aggression. And he's like, I reject your unbelievable bullshit. <laughs> But then before they leave, they're like going to storm out and he goes out to the porch. He gets the stroller. He brings it into the dining room and goes up to Wolfie. And he's like, Wolfie, do you want to ride in the stroller? And she doesn't want to tell him no. She's like, Wolfie, you do as you please. You do, you do as you please, Wolfie. Right. But she doesn't want him to, but she doesn't want to yeah. say no. So she's like, do what is, what is in your heart. <laughs> and Wolfie gets into it and... <laughs> And he's like runs him around the ha- uh, lap around the house in the stroller, and Wolfie loves it. He's like, "Wee!" He's having a ball. <laughs> and then he stops and he lets Wolfie get out, and he's like, "Wolfie, did you have fun? Because you won't experience that much fun again until you discover oral pleasure." <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that is probably my favorite part. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that is one of the one of the best parts of the movie, you know, the mini. So then he has his job interview, and you can see he's a little like down. And so she's like, "Did you get it?" He's like, "Yep, they're about ready to offer it to me." And so she's like, "You didn't get it." So he again lays on the bed that he doesn't fit on. Yeah, um, yeah. 
And she's like, you know what? It's fine because next we're going to Montreal. And do you know what they put on their fries in, in Montreal? And he's like, what does he say? Mayonnaise. mayonnaise. She's like, no, gravy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poutine is not my thing. You like poutine? Either. No. I think Julia and I think Julie and Brady once went to Canada just to get poutine. <laughs> something they would do. Yeah. So next they head to Montreal and they must have taken a different airline because these these let her on the plane at least. Um I think there's a moment on the plane where he tries to get her heart rate up again. Like he screams, it surprises her. Um, but once they arrive in Montreal, they go to their uh, college friend's house, Tom and Munch, who are played by Chris Messina and uh, Melanie Linsky. I love her. I love both of them so much. I do too. Love, love, love them. I also think Chris Messina is super hot. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but it's funny. My mom is watching a show that he's in right now. And when he was on screen, I was like, see, it's Chris Messina. And she's like, who? I was like, mom, he's literally in a show you're watching right now. The She's one with Kaylee Cuoco? Yeah. 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 I haven't started it, but it sounds good. Um, he's my favorite part of it. I haven't watched all of it, but what I've seen, he's the best part. Um, but they, when they get to Tom and Munch's place, their kids answer the door. And they have, like, how many do they have? Like, three or four adopted kids? Yeah. It's, their, it's a house full of children. Yeah. They're, like, all different ages. They're all different ethnicities. And they're super cute and playful and really lovey and love each other. And they're watching Sound of Music and, like, acting it out. <laughs> and then at the end of the um, Goodbye So Long song, they turn the movie off. And he's like, so the movie's and the movie ends when the, the Von Trapps go to bed. And they're like, yeah, we didn't want to expose them to the Nazis. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're like, they, you know, they don't need yeah. that. <laughs> you skip the Nazis. Yeah. Um, and they go back outside to wait for them to pull out the car around to pick them up. And Vern is just like, this is what I want. Like, this is, I want a big family like this that all, you know, climbing all over each other and love and stuff. And he's like, oh, do you want to adopt? She's like, we can turn her in, you know, <laughs> exchange her for something else. She's like, no, I want her too. But <laughs> So Tom and Munch and Bert and Rona go out to a bar and then they decide that they want real food. So they go to a diner and we have another discussion about the fact that Bert and Verona aren't married. And he's like, why don't you propose? And he's like, all I do is propose. Watch this. <laughs> Verona, you are the love of my life. She's like, thank you, honey. He's like, will you marry me? And she said, no. <laughs> And, you know, they, Tom explains how not just, it's not about marriage, but it's about family and how family love is the glue that holds it all together. And it makes you into the best type of person you could be. And while he's explaining all this and like painting this analogy, he builds a little house out of stuff on the table and he grabs two sugar cubes <laughs> And then he takes one of the sugar cubes and throws it away and grabs a brown sugar cube. <laughs> so it'll look like Rona, <laughs> which is such a cute little throwaway bit that makes me laugh. But he like puts them underneath a coaster and pours all this syrup all over it. And he has this really great monologue about love and family. 
that I can never enjoy. Because in my head, all I'm thinking about is how much their waitress is going to hate them. Yes, I think of that every time. I was like, somebody's got to clean that up, Chris. Like, <laughs> But then the wife says, you have to be so much better than you ever thought. And I just like that line, too. Yeah. I love Melanie Linsky so much. She's so, every role she ever plays. So do you watch Yellow Jackets? I haven't because I don't have showtime. Uh, it's about feral women, Hillary. I know, I really need to watch feral, it. feral, unhinged women. And we could do, it, it could fit the <laughs> of this show better than the movie we are doing now. So if you ever watch Yellow Jackets, I want to 100% <laughs> be on it with you because it's feral, unhinged women and it's my brand. Deal. <laughs> so I will do like a free weekend sometime and binge it. <laughs> it's it's uh, creepy and it's queer. So if it's yeah. sweet. Um, so after they leave the diner, they go to this like amateur strippers night where this is drunk people going up on stage and dancing and being silly. And then Munch goes up and performs. I always and leave. I always go to the bathroom with this part because I just can't watch it. And it's really sad. Yeah. Um, she performs this really somber dance and Tom explains to Bert that just that week, just that past Thursday, that Munchet had her fifth miscarriage. And, you know, they, she loves, she's a great mom and she loves their, their adoptive kids, but it's just so unfair that she can't have a baby. And he talks about what it's like to see these babies grow and then fade and disappear And he's like, what do you do? Do you name them? Do you bury them? What do you do? And it's it's so upsetting. Um, And I always think about it because I can't, I have no frame of reference of what that would be like, obviously. I'm not a mother. I've never had been. Um, But, you know, I have people very close to me who have lost babies, multiple babies. And I, all I can, I can't help but think at what point do you stop trying? Because at what point is it not worth the pain anymore? Yeah. I'm like five times. Yeah. Five times. It's just, uh, poor munch. Yeah. Um, but the next morning, um, Bert is, Verna wakes up and can hear Bert kind of whispering, having a quiet phone call. And he's under the bed because he's trying to let Verna sleep. So he's laying under the bed and he's on the phone with his brother, Courtney. And Courtney's wife has left him and their daughter. Who, what's the daughter's name? Is like Annabelle, I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, so instead of going back um, to Colorado, they decided to add another stop to their trip to go to Miami to help Courtney. So they go down there and they're like all, they're all out walking, but Verona and Annabelle are walking ahead and Courtney and uh, Bert are talking. And who's played by Paul Schneider, by the way. Yes. From Parks and Rec. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Um, and he's like, first I told her that she was on a work trip and she'd be gone for five days because I thought that was a fair estimate. And then five days came and went and she he lied and said that her grandpa died, which is fucked up. Yeah. And he's like, um, do I 
do, do I tell her that her mom died? And he's like, I'm pretty sure that would be traumatic. And he's like, yeah, but it, at least there's some finality to it. Yeah. <laughs> Which, what would you do? Oh, you got to tell him the truth, but it's going to suck. It is going to suck. But yeah, you can't, I mean, you can't tell him grandpa died and, <laughs> and they died. You can't say mom's dead. Right. It's just so crazy to think because it's one thing to like leave your spouse, but to leave your kid. Yeah. Because then you have to explain to your kid, you know, what you do you just tell them oh, your mom didn't love you enough to stay like that what do you say oh. what a nightmare that's a nightmare and it's such a nightmare that it kind of makes Bert spiral a little bit and Verona wakes up that night and finds him outside on the phone with like the wife's address book and he's just calling everybody she knows trying to find her and she, Verona's like, Bert, it's midnight. He's like, yeah, the element of surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like jumping on this trampoline, trampoline, and he's a little manic. And, um, you know, he explains to Verona, he's like, what? There's nothing keeping us from freaking out. One of us could freak out and leave and leave the other one. What, what do we do? And she's like, there's nothing we can do. We just have to promise each other that we won't do that. And he's like, well, marry me at least. And she's just like, no, never. Yeah, never. And um, and we find out here, like, why she doesn't want to get married. She doesn't want to get married because she doesn't want her parents to not be there at her wedding. So she just doesn't want to do it. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Like, I kind of like the fact that they're not married. I like the subversion of it. But at the same time practically speaking there's so many practical reasons why it's better to be married yeah yeah which isn't fair it sucks that we as a society are set up that way yeah or you have to be like legally married to this person to have paperwork to have the rights to do certain things like it's fucked up yeah like he would have more security if they were married if they were to separate um with their child you know he would have more which is sad but I do like this scene a lot because even though she says she'll never marry him, they make all these like other promises. Like they're never going to leave their kid. You know, they're always going to be there for each other. And it's just kind of like this, this marriage in a way, you know, it's like a ceremony in a way of them making these promises. And then she's like, please stop talking about finding my vagina. Like, can you stop <laughs> talking about that? <laughs> yeah. They're like laying on the trampoline and they're like essentially giving vows to each other like i i promise to do this i promise to do that and one of my favorite things is he says you know you promise to let our our daughter be fat or skinny or whatever she is and not worry about it because caring about that kind of stuff is too cliche for our daughter (laughs) i was like that's so sweet i know i love that and then i love that she says will you promise that when she talks she'll like really listen yeah and her fights will be your fights yeah I love this scene. This movie's so well written. Ah, so good. So, after they make these vows to each other, right? They fall asleep, and um, which every time I see him the next morning wake up on that trampoline, I'm just like, you would be soaking wet, <laughs> just from like all the condensation and dew everywhere. Like you would be drenched. Um, but tell us about the story that. Verona tells Bert the next morning. 
Oh, so um, she is kind of like reminiscing and she's by an orange tree, right? It's an orange tree. Yeah. And she tells the story of um, when they were kids, their dad planted an orange tree and it never grew fruit. So one day their mom decided to buy all of this fake fruit, like not just oranges, like pineapples, pears, whatever. And so her and her sister Grace and their mom went and like strung them on the tree. And then they went and hid. And as the dad was like going out to work, like he looks at it and she said for a moment, I think he thought it could have been real. But then when he saw like the other fruit, he just started like laughing hysterically and they just went out and like um, he knew it was them. And they had this like little family moment. So sweet. Yeah. Um, And we kind of see this moment of them talking about there's this quiet moment between Bert and Verona where it occurs to them that Verona's old home could maybe be their home. And it's in, and it's in Florida. So they'd be close to Courtney and Annabelle too, you know, um, I think, right. I thought it was in Louisiana for some reason, Is it Louisiana? but still, still, it'd still be closer than anywhere else than they could have chose. Yeah. Um, is there a kitten in here? Oh, no, it's Dottie. <laughs> I was like, something's walking on me. Oh, it's a cat. But so they start, like, driving. You can see they have stuff on their, their car. Like, they this is the place that they're going to settle on. And he's like, is it starting to look familiar? And she's like, yeah, but I wanted to see him, like, you know, we found it. And, like, you look over and you see the fake fruit hanging on the tree. And that's where, like, where he turns in. So cute. It, it kills me because this, they pull up to... What is like the most beautiful house in the whole fucking world? Oh yeah, it's so beautiful. Like, why didn't you think about this at the beginning? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. That always kills me. And I get it that like she didn't have full closure when it came to her parents, and she didn't want to accept it and that kind of stuff. But like, if you are thinking even for a moment, hmm, where should I live? And you have this gorgeous house at your at your disposal, it's been number one on the list, baby. <laughs> Hello. And they they walk in through the front door, and it's this gorgeous old house, you know, glass, wood, beautiful. Then they go out through the back doors, and the back doors literally, like, open to a backyard that just meets the ocean. You can see the ocean from your back step. It's gorgeous. It that is being said, beautiful. Terrifying. Scene. Yeah, you have ruined this for me because you were like, that kid's going to drown. <laughs> <laughs> Hillary, come on. <laughs> I know. I'm the worst. I'm that's my superpower. I'm worst case scenario girl. I yeah. jump to the worst conclusion in a single bound. <laughs> this is like, I'm like usually crying by this point because it's so beautiful and they you know, we've reached this climax of the movie and you're like, nope, that kid's gonna drown. And I'm like, God damn it, now I think of it every time I watch this movie. <laughs> I'm just like, put in a fence, maybe. <laughs> just a little fence. Um but yes, it is a great ending to the film. It's very sweet. And they're, they're sitting down. They're looking out at the ocean. And um, what does Bert say? He says, like, do you think we'll be happy? Or do you think this is this is for us? And she says, I he? fucking hope so. Yeah, I fucking hope so. Um, and that's the end of the film. And like Heather says, like, by this point, you're anyone watching is like (laughs) (laughs) we started this last night and I was like we don't have to watch it all like and it was getting kind of late 
And then the next thing I know, Bruce was like, did we just watch this whole movie? I was like, yeah, we did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, it was funny. Mom and I watched this early yesterday morning. And then right after this, we we started watching From Hell, which is like the complete opposite of this movie in every single possible way. Uh, that's me and my mom, though. We're like, yeah, murder. Woo. Uh, so, like I said at the beginning, if you've never seen this movie, I, I promise you watching it is better than listening to just us ramble about it. Um, even though we're hilarious. Uh, <laughs> did you have any final thoughts on this movie? No, it's just a really good movie. I just love it. I love it, too. Um, well... I'm going to keep this brief and wrap it up because I got me a baby out in the living room to go play with. Oh, no, that's fun. Yeah. And here, I'm going to go give him lovings. So thank you guys for listening. You can always support the podcast by going to the support page link in the description. You can sign up for a monthly patronage or do a one-time donation. Every little bit helps keep the lights on around here. And you can also help the podcast by sharing a link with your friends and followers and help us grow our audience get more ears on the thing um here shortly within the next couple months i'm going to start uploading to youtube so that should be exciting and that should broaden the audience a little bit so keep an eye out for that and thank you bunches and bunches to heather for joining me yeah thank you for allowing us to do this movie that um is not called camp queer or creepy (laughs) (laughs) you're very welcome And until next time, we are the Weirdos, mister.